So Mm -hmm. literature about gender norms often refers to a belief that women are naturally promiscuous and therefore need to be altered and secured, aka through FGM and early marriage. Respondents explained that female genital mutilation was understood in their communities as a way to control a woman's sexuality and ensure that wives remain faithful. I wonder where they got this idea that women are like naturally that. I mean, maybe we are. So are men though. Like what's the difference? I don't know. Yeah. But like more so than men. I don't know about that. Welcome to The Scaries, brought to you by Racer Co. I'm Sky And I'm Talitha. We are proudly broadcasting from Treaty 4 territory here in Regina. And in each episode, we tackle the alarming, inconceivable, questionable, shocking, and scary statistics relating to, impacting, and intervening with the lives of women and girls worldwide. You'll hear the scary truth, take away tools and tips, and learn about what you can do about it. And The Scaries is really an opportunity to raise awareness of what's going on in our world and what's impacting women specifically and sharing resources and using our power as women and supporters of women to make some real change. So the views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and this is for entertainment purposes only. Um, And in this specific episode and in most episodes that we do, we will be sharing some content that could be triggering. So please listen with caution. As straight, cisgender, white, able-bodied settler women, we are very aware of the privilege that we have, and we want to use this platform to spread awareness about the scary reality that women from around the world face in different life situations. Why? Because sometimes nothing is scarier than being a woman. All right. For those of you who don't know, when I'm going to assume that most listening do not, um, and we're in the same boat, no judgment there. Uh, February 6th today is uh, the International Day for Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. And this concept is sadly still very, very alive and well in the world we live in today. Yeah, I would say, I mean, you should hopefully know by now that the show isn't always sunshine and rainbows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the exact reason why we're doing it. Uh, but we work very hard to shine light on the issues that are impacting women and girls from around the world. Uh, so it should go without saying, but I will say it anyways, that this is another episode which won't be easy to listen to. But the facts are real. The stats are real. The stories are real. And it's so, so, so important to share that this is a reality for women and girls around the world. And it's still super prevalent, which I ignorantly actually had no idea that it was as prevalent Mm -hmm. as it is and how commonplace it is until we were researching this episode. So you may be wondering exactly how prevalent is this right now? Well, our research shows that female genital mutilation is a widespread issue to Mm -hmm. this day. Every year, around 4.4 million girls are at the risk of undergoing this harmful practice. And that's equivalent to over 12,000 cases Daily. 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 It's a lot. The adverse effects include severe pain, shock, bleeding, difficulty in urination, painful intercourse, menstrual blockages, infections, and even death. Um, And the long-term consequences, of course, impact their sexual and reproductive health, as well as mental well-being, of course. And women who have undergone female genital mutilation are twice as likely to die during childbirth and more likely to have a stillborn baby compared to those who haven't, which is so contradictory to the, seems like the purpose of, I mean, we'll get into why in most cases they're doing this, but a lot of it's for, you know marry marriage and you know preservation to your family and and all of that but yet you can't even 
have you kids. Know, yeah. Or after this, do your it family. healthy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's very sad. Yes, it is. Yeah. And around one in five girls undergo female genital mutilation performed by a medical professional, which we will get into in a little bit. But more commonly, it's done by community elders, traditional practitioners, or relatives in rural areas. It's often performed in unsanitary conditions using tools like knives and even broken glass without anesthesia. So it's very obvious that female genital mutilation poses some very severe risks. You know what? I'm just thinking out loud here, but I think about like male circumcision for babies most most times. And that's been around for, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Millennia, I would say probably. And I mean, probably more widespread than female genital mutilation. But, and I mean, I'm not making the exact comparison. I'm not making judgments if if you choose to circumcise your son either. Um, But you think about how mainstream that is and how, you know, mm-hmm. it's done in a hospital. It's done with a plastic surgeon. It's, you know, that's where it's done and it's done safely. And so that there's no long-term impacts. You, and- it actually was like previously believed because obviously it's a, re- there's a religious impact on it, but mm-hmm. it was also previously believed that it was healthier for. Right. Yes. Young, Cause it's now, cleaner and yeah. yeah but now it's proven that it's actually not healthier. So they really? don't recommend oh, it. So like, yeah, if you want to go get your, like, I mean, in a city like ours, if you want to go get your son circumcised, it's not like something that you can like. Right. Yeah, quickly you have do. to schedule it after yeah. the fact and all of that. So yeah. anyway, just very mm-hmm. interesting that even when you look at that's continued on like yeah. male circumcision, so is female, but they're done very differently. Right. Um, with, and even though without anesthesia, I was like, mm, that's like everything. And with broken that women, glass. And yeah. With, and like, yeah, it just blow, boggles my mind. Yeah. Anyway, and both done to young children, yes. might I add, not yes. just to adults and whatever that can, not that adults should deal with the pain, no. but like, let's be honest, young babies. Not cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So for all of these reasons, it's very crucial to raise awareness and take action against female genital mutilation. And every day, every single day, 12,000, like we said, girls worldwide are affected. So we must unite to stand up against this practice. Mm-hmm. So as always, it's crucial to get first on the same page regarding the definition of what exactly this is. So female genital mutilation and cutting is a harmful tradition inclu- involving the cutting or removal of external female genitalia dating back over 2000 years. It's typically done on girls from birth until before marriage. So kind of when they're like from babies to, I mean, in these, some of these countries could be 12, 10. Yeah. Young. It's quite young. Yeah. Um, and it's also known as female circumcision, like we mentioned for the purposes of this episode, because female genital mutilation is quite a mouthful. It's a mouthful. We're going to yeah. call, we're going to refer to it as FGM. It's ca- often uh, referred to this online and like in literature. Yeah. So FGM. So FGM includes procedures altering or injuring female genitalia for non-medical reasons. This is fully aesthetic or social norms or whatever reasons. Cultural. Cultural. And it's recognized internationally internationally as a violation of human rights, health, and the integrity of girls and women. The World Health Organization classifies it into four types. And let me preface by saying that these classifications are pretty horrific. So type one is partial or total removal of the external clitoris and our prepuce. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not medical. I don't know the exact yeah. technical term. So partial or total removal of the clor- clitoris pretty much. Uh, type two is partial or complete removal of the external clitoris, labia minora, with or without excision of the labia majora. So even more intense, just like full. Yeah, everything. And type three is narrowing the vaginal orifice by cutting and sealing the labia minora and majora with or without clitoral excision. Sealing? Yeah. Ah. 
I think sometimes from just like what I've read, it can be like, like they stitch it closed. Mm, just like makes me hurt just thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, I know. And then type four is all other harmful non-medical procedures like pricking, piercing, incising, scraping, cauterization, other things that they do just to make it harmful for yeah. girls to procreate and to have intercourse. And like, again, we will get into this, but I think it's just like the cutting and piercing and that type of things. It's like, because it's this cultural belief that this needs to happen to yeah. young women. So like, it's just doing it for the sake of doing it almost mm -hmm. like, yeah. So I obviously don't understand these practices and the cultural implications um, in history because I'm obviously not from those cultures. And I didn't grow up in that. Um, and I think Everyone should probably know by now that we have very different beliefs than these belief systems, but we're not passing judgment. Obviously, we are just preparing and sharing uh, what we've come across, but solely looking at the rights and body autonomy of the girls and women that are going through this. Um, all I can say is like, what the actual hell? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> what is happening? Um, so anyways, our research shows that more than 200 million women and girls have experienced FGM usually occurring between the ages of seven and 10, mm. seven and 10. Sometimes that's even worse than a baby because they are fully aware of yeah. what's going on. Like, you know what I mean? Seven and 10. That's and like grade two, three. Remember whatever. that. You yeah. Know? Like, it's yeah, like totally babies when things happen. I mean, obviously it's still heartbreaking, but like they don't have the conscience. Yeah. Like the, exactly. yeah the awareness. This is like scarred into their brain forever. Yeah. Yeah. So this estimate is based on data from 32 countries across three continents, but FGM affects girls in over 90 countries globally, uh, making the actual scale much higher and much more significant. The practice is found in Africa, the Middle East, Asia, and then just among diaspora communities as well worldwide, with approximately 4.1 girls at risk each year. 4.1 million girls. Sorry, yes, not <laughs> not just 4.1, 4.1 million girls. So anyways, on a positive note, uh, female genital mutilation prevalence has decreased over the last three decades. So today, a girl is one third less likely to undergo FGM than 30 years ago. So that's hmm. good news. We I mean, yeah. obviously, progress is being made. However, challenges like disease outbreaks, climate change, and armed conflict threaten this progress toward gen gender equality and the goal of eliminating FGM by 2030. And I would say just even like in the last year. Uh, disease outbreaks, <laughs> climate change, and armed conflict have increased significantly. Right. So, it's interesting to think those three things specifically and how they impact this specific practice. Yeah. Something I, I know that we're going to do, and this is like sort of a, a different one, but it's the impact of climate change on women. And yeah. like, that's an episode that we're going to be talking about mm -hmm. or we'll be doing soon. But I think it's just like, you see it here. You see it in like human trafficking. You yeah. see it in like all of these different pockets of things that we've already talked about. Yeah, we, that one's one we have for sure have to dig into. Yeah, yeah. So back to FGM. So FGM specifically occurs. Uh, so where is this happening? It occurs, like we said, due to tradition, social norms, and cultural reasons, often rooted in gender inequality. Some see it as a vital part of a girl's upbringing or rite of passage into adulthood. Yeah. In other cases, female genital mutilation is done to preserve virginity and control girls' premarital sexual activities. Regardless, it control. is a severe form of discrimination against women and girls persisting due to deep-rooted traditions passed down through generations. Mm -hmm. So later we'll explore what drives the continuation of this brutal practice. But first, let's look at child marriage and its relationship with female genital mutilation. So child marriage is defined as formal or informal marriage where one or both parties are under 18. Globally, 700 million women were married 
as children, and as we previously noted, 200 million women have undergone female gen- genital mutilation. So while these practices coexist in some contexts, they're they're not always linked, mm-hmm. but it's important to look at the impact of child marriage in this context as well. Yeah. Both FGM and child marriage severely impact a girl's health, of course, development, education, quality of life, driven by gender inequality and social beliefs. And unsurprisingly, crisis and extreme poverty tend to exacerbate these practices and worsen situations, like we said. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Nigeria, it's marked as one of the countries with the most child brides and 82% of girls undergo female genital mutilation before five years old. 82%. That's a lot. In other countries, viewing FGM um, as it is a rite of passage, like in Kenya, this often leads to early marriage as a result of of that fact as well. So, so they're like not mutually exclusive. Right. Obviously, you don't have like, to have one to have the other, but, but they, they tend do to go together. Up. Yeah, they yeah. tend to show up in the same spaces. Yeah. So looking then more deeply at social norms, we found that FGM is deeply rooted in social and cultural traditions. Uh, So in some cases, it is seen as a rite of passage, as we said, into womanhood, while others see it as a way to suppress a woman's sexuality. So sometimes it's seen as like, we're doing this for you. And others, it's like, we're seeing it as like, you can't have any of these feelings or rights or anything. Many communities practice female genital mutilation in the belief that it will ensure a girl's future marriage or family honor. Some associate it with religious beliefs, although no religious scriptures require it. It's been mm-hmm. studied. It's been looked at. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, we know that male circumcision has a lot to do with yeah. in Jewish traditions and yeah. religion. I mean, not today. I think it's more aesthetic and more social norm than yeah. it is that in some cases. But yeah, in this case, it's not really religion. It's not. It's they say it is. Social I mean, norms. they say it's like, you know, it's cultural. I mean, religion, they kind of go hand in hand. Right. But yeah, um, yeah, not and, really in any of the scriptures that say straight out we need to do this to no, our children. exactly yeah so um enough which is a worldwide oxfam campaign that aims to replace harmful social norms with positive ones that promote gender equality and non-violence sought to better understand which social norms perpetuate traditional practices in nigeria specifically and how they influence behavior so they did this by interviewing 20 men and 20 women and analyzing the results in a campaign design workshop with partner organizations and experts working on violence against women and girls from the analysis of the interview findings participants in the workshop identified several social norms related to positive attitudes towards fgm and early marriage and prioritized four as being the root of the problem so i'm going to Mm -hmm. review a couple of those and i'm going to pass it off to sky to review the other ones but uh, i think that it will paint a clearer picture as to what's socially and culturally going on uh, where fgm is still prevalent and again this is specifically in nigeria but i think that we could probably pass these on to other places as well. So the first idea is that a respectable woman marries early. So according to this research, a woman's role is relegated to the household. The social norm is to get married, be a good wife, quote unquote, and have children. The interviews made clear that marriage and motherhood are considered the two most important achievements for women in two Nigerian states specifically, more so than achievements in education or the workplace. So that's precisely why I'm like, why are they doing this if it literally hurts the the op- the potential right. to be a mom because you can die from this yeah. in childbirth? Like yeah. it makes no sense. Well, and what was or it, like have stillbirth babies. Yeah, stillbirth babies. Like, yeah. Well, are they not painting those two things together? It makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. Also, like this might be a little bit of a 
I just feel like logically, I'm like, if we, if it is a religious belief, don't you believe that your creator, your God made people whole in the best way possible to like achieve things that they like achieve to, you know, have a baby, Mm -hmm. all of those types of things. So don't you think like, labia or were designed are needed right is designed by your creator exactly yeah, yeah. you'd think so don't remove not. them they're mm-hmm. there for a reason yeah <laughs> anyways um the second is a respectable woman is submissive to male authority so for this one respondents in the interview process said boys are expected to marry obedient and respectable girls and parents are supposed to raise their daughters to be obedient and respectful in communities that practice fgm undergoing the right is seen as a way of ensuring that girls are ready for marriage and remain obedient and respectful one female respondent in this interview process said that fgm is like a bride price Hmm. being paid in a woman's head so being recognized by god and recognized by your society and your family will recognize you too so they pay this price in their mind like this psychological yeah, effect it's like of, a sacrifice yes, like a badge exactly. of honor i'm doing this to prove that i'm such an obedient right. woman and da, da, da. exactly yeah mm-hmm. so interview findings show that high value is placed on good manners submissiveness and obedience and they are demonstrated by submitting to fgm in all instances women and girls have little say in decision around female genital mutilation and early marriage although women often decide to practice fgm on their daughters and or state that they want to undergo fgm they do so since it is seen as an act of submissiveness to their husbands so like they they don't want to, but they want to because they want to be, you know, a good family member, a good wife, a good bride, a mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, Sky, I'm going to pass off the next two to you. For sure. And just before I get yeah. into the next two, this rings true on a couple episodes ago, we talked about just the gender equality index across the world. Yeah. And when we think about the countries that are still practicing FGM, it aligns very much to yes. those who are on the lower of the index in terms of uh, gender inequality. Or, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Very gender much so. equality. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next social norm that really continues to perpetuate this practice is the idea that suitable woman a suitable woman is not promiscuous so Mm -hmm. literature about gender norms often refers to a belief that women are naturally promiscuous and therefore need to be altered and secured aka through fgm and early marriage respondents explained that female genital mutilation was understood in their communities as a way to control a woman's sexuality and ensure that wives remain faithful I wonder where they got this idea that women are like naturally that. I mean, maybe we are. So are men though. Like what's the difference? I don't know. Yeah. But like more so than men. I don't know about that. I just feel like that's like where the power trip and everything comes from. It's like, oh, like women are slutty and it's come from, I'm sure, you know, like, I mean, if you're looking at like the Catholic religion, like Mary Magdalene and like, like, you know, like, so there's this i mean not that they're necessarily catholic but that's just one that came to Mm -hmm. mind of like these examples of like that women are slutty however like men are allowed to have 17 wives (laughs) i think it's to me i think it's um almost like it's kind of reminds me of like an animal like training your animal keeping them yeah close to you and fall exactly and so it's like it's not really about that it's like i just want my this to be mine and i want it to obey what i do and what i want and don't really care what it wants yeah so, totally i agree anywho the analysis on that topic of women are promiscuous naturally uh is made clear through 
The control of a woman's sexuality is closely linked to the norm of women being submissive to men and having no mm -hmm. decision-making power, like I said, over their own bodies or life choices. While male, male status is strongly linked to early marriage and female genital mutilation, there is a high level of ignorance among men. So men don't really even think about this. Like, oh, really? I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> I feel like that's also the case with like hmm. periods, though, or like human trafficking and different yeah. things. So they're just like, oh, I didn't, I had no idea. And yeah. Like, mm -hmm. Blissfully ignorant. Yep. Many male respondents in this study stated that they did not know if people still practice FGM and saw it as a woman's affair and related it to community expectations, not individual choice, which blows my mind because are you, you like, nuts notice? that you're not knowing if your wife does that? And if you don't care, then why is it still happening? Yeah. Like she's but doing like, this for you. I mean, maybe you wouldn't Apparently. notice like a cut or a pierce, but like, would you not notice if like her labia were missing or if I she's mean, screaming when you're doing things? Right. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can scream sometimes, but yeah, <laughs> you know not, in a not in a positive way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, few respondents linked FGM to a women's enjoyment of sex mm -hmm. through a workshop participant stress that a circumcised woman being unable to satisfy their husbands leads to many divorces and polygamy. So we all need to yeah. satisfy the men, but the women, eh, doesn't matter. No, they're not important. So the last norm, social norm that weighs heavily in this research is that a woman's worth is more as a wife than as a daughter. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, because there's a price paid with, right? Right. With being a wife. So the first three norms we covered reflect women and girls having low worth in society, reinforcing unequal power relations to in their marriage. The use of a dowry in um, to determine the value of a woman indicates a society sees a woman as a liability. Hmm complicated traditional practices related to dowry calculations enforce that the monetary value of girls and some respondents argued that in the survey argued that families see girls as a monetary value only as a monetary value half the respondents on early marriage mentioned that families regard girls as a financial burden because they have to owe all this money when they get married right mm -hmm. since they often do not contribute financially but still need to be fed there's just a mouth that needs yeah. to be <laughs> they don't contribute financially who's like dealing with the house and cooking and doing all the things while they're out yeah. whatever they're doing yeah the attitude is summed up in this phrase you are worth more as a wife than as a daughter still respondents did not agree about the importance of financial arguments in early marriage and some saw the prospect mm. of a dowry as a reason for early marriage and poor families and while others say tradition is a stronger driver, some respondents said that even when there's no direct family pressure, girls sometimes feel forced into a marriage as a way to escape poverty or a bad home situation. So lots of things at play. Yeah. I mean, also, like, if you're not being valued as a daughter, you're probably like, well, let me just get out of here then and go be someone's wife, even if you're 12, even if you're... But the the thing that gets even rooted deeper is, like, if women, you know, they can't contribute financially, why? Because they're not allowed to go to school. Why? Yeah. Because right. this is an unequal society. Like they can't get a yeah. job. They can't do this. Well, they could if you allowed some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just... They can't contribute yeah, financially because they don't have the skills because they weren't allowed to get those skills because they weren't allowed to go to school and because they had to stay home and now they're a burden because they're at home. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. It's just a vicious cycle. It's Yeah. It's brutal. So, I mean, obviously, it's really hard to listen to those social norms. And I, 
have a very different belief system um, mm-hmm. than the folks interviewed. Uh, however, I understand that it's, there's lots of cultural differences and a lot of things at play. Um, but we learned earlier about the harmful health impacts about genital mutilation on women. So I just want to take you through the world of medicalized FGM. Um, it's an attempt to make this ancient practice safer but the harm lingers and the gender inequalities persist even in the medical setting. So increasingly in many countries, trained healthcare professionals in violation of the Hippocratic Oath to do mm-hmm. no harm carry out FGM. However, medicalizing the practice does not make it safer as mm. it still removes and damages healthy and normal tissue and interferes with the natural function of women and girls' bodies, as mm-hmm. I said. Yep. They're designed for a reason. They're there for a purpose. Yeah. Uh, so places like Egypt and Indonesia, Kenya, Malaysia, Nigeria, as we stated, Sudan and Yemen see a lot of medicalized FGMs. Here, the approach sometimes shifts, often opting for less severe cuts and then more symbolic in nature, as I mm. had said. So like maybe they don't notice that there's like a pierce or something. And it's more so like this cultural rite that you're going through. In an attempt to avoid legal trouble, healthcare providers use alternative terms like genital modification when performing mm-hmm. FGM. But make no mistake, it remains a risky procedure holding lifelong physical, emotional, and sexual implications for survivors. So despite the intentions, medicalizing female genital mutilation is not the answer. Mm-mm. Doesn't matter how it's done, where, by who. It is not right. It still endangers women and girls, perpetuating gender inequality, deeply rooted, um, which is deeply rooted in this practice. And moreover, it hinders global efforts to eradicate female gen- genital mutilation completely mm-hmm. because we're the medical people are saying, oh, this is okay. Da, 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 we're, we, we're doing yeah. it. Um, the push for medicalization comes from a desire to make FGM GM safer and sometimes unintentionally spurred by awareness efforts focusing on its health consequences. Mm. However, this shift doesn't truly address the core issues and risks that come with this form of violence against women and girls. So they're like, well, you're saying that it's unhealthy and unsafe. Let me, a doctor's doing it. So mm-hmm. like, it's got to be fine, but it's not, that's yeah. not the case. So the age old question then, what is being done about it? The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development was adopted by all UN member states in 2015 following the Millennial Development Goals. There are 17 sustainable development goals that make up a call to action by countries to work together to end poverty, improve health, reduce inequality, and promote economic growth while also taking care of the environment. FGM is specifically integrated into the sustainable development goals within goal number five, target 5.3, which is to eliminate all harmful practices such as child, early, and forced marriage, and FGM. As FGM relates closely to quality education and maternal health, reducing FGM contributes to global goals in these areas. So the inclusion of FGM and the Sustainable Development Goals as a specific target highlights its significant negative consequences. It also creates a mechanism to call national governments to account and to advocate for policy responses that contribute to this global target. So following this, so that was in 2015. In 2016, the UN Human Rights Council adopted a resolution recognizing FGM as an act of violence against women and girls. It has urged countries to put in place national legislation prohibiting FGM and develop strategies for its enforcement. 
27 of the 28 countries have signed or signed and ratified one or more of the treaties that recommend they legislate against FGM. Interesting. Well, obviously these laws aren't working because, or they're not, they alone aren't the answer, right? No. Because this is still alive and well. Um, also, I feel like 2016 is like not that long ago. And I, know. I don't remember hearing about no, this. No, I don't either. Yeah. Um, so of the 28 countries in Africa where FGM is practiced, 23 have national laws in place to specifically ban it. So the majority, yet evidence suggests that anti-FGM laws are rarely enforced. Mm. And there is an absence of prosecutions across Africa and worldwide. Hmm. As some communities justify under religious or local customary laws. Right. Yeah. There are serious challenges to the implementation and enforcement of these laws, clearly. Mm -hmm. Some of these challenges are systematic. For example, there are often few police or other government officials in these remote rural areas where this is happening. Um, and so no one's no one has the understanding or knowledge right. that this shouldn't continue to happen. There are also cultural challenges and conflicts of interest where police and local political and community leaders continue to support the practice for reasons of tradition, like we said, or even financial gain. Oh, so they're being paid off to be like, shh, let yeah, me, exactly. yeah, let me do this. So ultimately, while governments are the decision makers and can lead the way by introducing appropriate policies and legislation, they must be backed up by detailed strategies that ensure full implementation and enforcement of the law. It is also critical that legislative frameworks are implemented alongside programming that address social norms. Where legal norms are in strong contradiction of social norms, this can drive mm -hmm. the practice of female genital mutilation underground with cutting occurring at younger ages Ugh. and in secret when legal norms are aligned with social norms or at least with a readiness to change social norms they can support reductions in this practice yeah so what can we do how can we prevent this from continuing at the rates that it is i mean yes we know it's decreasing and mm -hmm. over 30 years a third but it's not fast enough. No. So the answer, similar to the most of the answers of the actions on what do we do about this mm -hmm. across all of the episodes are around, it's not just one thing, it takes activism, advocacy, involves educational, legal, community-based interventions across yeah. the board. So lots of things need to be done. Um, but here are some strategies that we found, and it's non-exhaustive, mm -hmm. um, uh, that we can do about this. And I'll note again that it is crucial to respect the local cultures while advocating for abandoning these harmful practices. So we can do both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so first of all, what we can do is education awareness. I mean, today is zero tolerance for FGM. So yeah. do you know what that is? Do your friends know what that is? Do your parents know what that is? Talk do about your it. spouses know what that yeah. is? Talk about what this is. It still exists. Um, so please do educate yourselves and others. Next is implementing legal measures. Worldwide, we know we need these to en actually enact and enforce the legal laws that we yeah. have in place against FGM to create a deterrent and to start prosecuting people for when this happens. So um, let's, you know, lobby for that mm -hmm. being the laws um, and as an individual you can also work with governments and ngos to advocate for and implement policies that support and anti-fgm efforts mm -hmm. yeah last and certainly not least is to support victims and survivors similarly to a few of the other topics we've covered around violence against women and girls too many women suffer in silence mm -hmm. as we heard in last week's episode about human trafficking while there is an urgent need to address the illegal activity and obviously stop it in its tracks there is 
also a need to care for those affected that is just as urgent. So while introducing laws and addressing the legal activity, governments and NGOs also need to take a trauma-informed care approach and offer mm-hmm. psychological support and counseling services for survivors of FGM to help them cope with trauma. Um, and so obviously these just scratch the surface and are not necessarily things that we can all do and like jump up after listening to this episode as effective interventions often require a comprehensive, culturally sensitive approach that involves collaboration across various sectors and stakeholders. But as I said earlier, the more we do and the more we know, the better that we can do. So take action where you can. So thank you for joining us today as we confronted this very, very, very terrifying, but very real life statistics impacting women and girls, specifically girls. Please share this episode, rate and subscribe wherever you are listening and stay tuned for more ways to make a positive impact. Together, we can make the world a little less scary for women and girls. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at RacerCo and scaries.podcast and on TikTok at RacerCo. And remember that change starts with awareness and action, which is what we're doing here today. So thank you so much for being a part of the Scaries and becoming informed yourself and potentially taking action following this. We hope you do. Yes. Um, and overall, for the pursuit of making the world a little less scary for it to exist as a woman. Bye. Bye.